you so much for joining us today for our webinar, Turn Maybe to Member, Uncovering Denver Museum of Nature and Science's Powerful Data Strategies. My name is Sarah Meredith. I am a Product Marketing Manager here at Umble, and I specialize in the nonprofit and membership space. Before we begin, I would like to go over a few housekeeping items. All callers will be muted. We will be doing a live Q&A during the last 15 minutes, so feel free to insert your questions into the chat box or tweet us at Umble using the hashtag maybe to member. There's also some supplemental resources that you are able to download now that have some visuals of some of the topics we'll be talking about today. At the conclusion of our webinar, the video will be hosted online on our blog. Visit www.umble.com blog to view this at the conclusion. Also, if you have any questions after the webinar, please feel free to email me, smeredith at umble.com. The American Alliance of Museums 2015 Trend Watch stated that museums need to generate enough mass data to detect patterns. With Umble, you can use this data to attract new visitors, acquire members and donors, and create awesome tailored experiences. We do this by combining all of your data sources, no matter where they live, be social, email, donor and member databases, and put it into one easy to use platform. This platform gives you access to your data across your organization. It also enables you to acquire new data where there may be gaps. Once all of the data is in the platform, you're able to analyze it based off of segments that are of interest. For example, members that are at risk of churning. You can also use the Umble platform to activate your data to power the tools that you're already using for membership and donor campaigns. Today we'll be discussing why data is important, rethinking the membership campaign by using that data, embracing trial and error, and looking forward to see what data and museums and membership teams might be doing in the future. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the reason we're all here today, Ms. Ashley Alexander, the Director of Memberships at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Hi, thank you. Thanks for coming. Sure, thanks for having me. Well, will you introduce yourself to the audience and give a little bit of background of how you got into your field? Sure. Um, I've been in my field for about 10 years. I started out as a consultant working for Community Counseling Service in New York City. Uh, and then I was the Senior Director of Strategic Planning and Operations at the Wildlife Conservation Society before moving back to my native Colorado uh, in 2014 for my Director of Membership position at the museum. And what are some of your responsibilities at uh, Denver Museum of Nature and Science? Sure, I oversee our general membership program, our giving club level members of, um, which is young professionals as well as philanthropic memberships, mm -hmm. as well as events and all of our database management and analysis. So lots of hats. Yes, <laughs> lots of hats. <laughs> Perfect, so we'll dive right in. The Wall Street Journal uh, stated that museums use visitor data to inform decisions on everything from exhibits, donor outreach, and gift shop marketing strategy. How have you guys traditionally looked at data and why did you start looking for a data solution at Denver Museum of Nature and Science? Sure, actually the work for looking for a data solution um, began before my time. Uh, 
Uh, so my predecessor had already started to put the ball into motion, um, really thinking through the different data elements we wanted to gather on members in order to better understand their visitation patterns with us, their spending patterns with us, in order to have a more informed um, platform for how we make decisions about our membership program. And so that work had already begun before I arrived, but when I arrived, we were still thinking kind of really big picture. In fact, we were thinking about a business intelligence um, option at that time for the entire institution. Mm -hmm. um, but as we went through that process, I think what we uncovered was that we really wanted to focus first on our members, which was already a group of constituents who feel really passionate about us and have invested in us, mm -hmm. and we want to know more about who they are and what insights we might glean from who they are that we could then turn back and, and um, essentially improve the program, right? Improve their experience with our institution. Mm -hmm. So that led us down the path to Humble. Wonderful. What were some of the initial impacts that but data and having the solution of Humble um, has had on how you're operating in, in your day-to-day -day and year-to-year? Sure, you know, I don't think we anticipated this going into it, but it was actually a really good outcome that we um, kind of were faced with pretty mm -hmm. quickly moving into Umbel. And that is, is that Umbel, the solution, allows us to look at our members as individuals, right? And because even though myself and my spouse reside in one household and we have a membership with the museum, we're different individuals. Mm -hmm. We may have an affinity for slightly different passions in life. Uh, we might shop with different brands and we probably engage with the museum in different ways, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I obviously work for the museum. My husband is someone who visits the museum. Mm -hmm. And so with Humble, we were really able and kind of faced with this um, aha moment, if you will, of realizing that our members are individuals and we should probably track their behavior with us mm -hmm. um, as such. And that's not how we had been doing it. Yeah. Um, so in fact, the CRM solution that we <laughs> use, we had configured that in such a way that we were really only tracking behavior and interactions and engagement with our museum at a household level and not <coughs> at that individual level. Yeah. Um, so moving to Humble has made us realize that we're gonna need to reconfigure <laughs> our CRM. Um, and so that's another additional project that's on our plate right now and we hope to finalize that uh, quarter one of next year. By switching from a household to an individual view, were you also looking at any hunches or things that you were able to see beforehand with data and it's more validated now or was there a big disconnect? You're like, oh, we didn't even know that even the household hunches were not. That's a really interesting question because we have surveyed our member base before using a traditional survey tool um, and those insights that we've gotten back Obviously, individuals are filling out that survey, but we've kind of summarized and I think understood and operated from that data at a household level. Mm -hmm. Because again, those were anonymous submissions and we weren't really able to tie that to individuals. And we've always thought about the membership program from a household perspective. So it did validate, um, Umble validated what we had received as the data points back <coughs> in the survey. Mm -hmm. um, but again, we still need to know more and want to know more about our members and who yeah. they are and how they interact with us and we're aiming to do that through Humble. Nice. So at, in your role you do a lot with the membership campaigns both renewing and attracting new ones. What was your approach to membership campaigns prior to using Humble? So we are a direct mail institution, right? And, and most membership um, <coughs> programs at museums me. and zoos and aquariums do the same. It's a proven way of acquiring and retaining members. And it still works for us too, right? Those who say direct mail is dead, they're so 
It's not. It's not dead <laughs> at all. Um, it still works. And so we yeah. do two, usually, uh, sometimes three, uh, large direct mail acquisition campaigns a year. Um, and typically we mail about 800,000 households in a given year and try to acquisition them back to the museum. And for us, those direct mail campaigns have four kind of broad categories of segments. Mm -hmm. They are ticket purchaser data, mm -hmm. so non-members, if you will, who have purchased tickets at our institution. They are long lapsed, now dropped members yeah. out of our program that we're trying to rejoin or, or reacquire back to the museum. We also rent or purchase lists through our list broker. Yeah. Um, and then we also just try to re-engage with those that we've lost touch with um, who likely now have belonged to another institution. So we do an exchange with some of our local cultural institutions. We provide them names, they provide us names, and we try to re-acquisition one another's members. Nice. Has your strategy and process changed since you've started using Umble and mining through the data a little more? Yes. So with Umble, we obviously now are able to target members more strategically than we had been in the past. So um, what that looks like for us is when we receive our kind of list plan as we work with our list broker on mm -hmm. the direct mail piece, especially around the rented and purchase lists, which are typically uh, magazine or consumer lists, mm -hmm. um, we now then take that plan and we look at it in Umbel and we see, does this match what we're seeing in Umbel as far as brand affinities are mm -hmm. concerned. So for example, um, our current acquisition that's out in the out in mailboxes right <laughs> now, as we built that list plan, our analyst mm -hmm. um, carefully analyzed what our list broker was suggesting in terms of households we should mail mm -hmm. uh, based on lists that are available and zip codes and past performance, etc. And comparing that with the brand affinity data that we have in Umbel now to see you know what, maybe we should probably increase that 5280 magazine list by X number of households because that's a really high ranking brand affinity for our members and we'll likely have better, mm -hmm. better luck. And, and then also decreasing lists where we're seeing lower affinities. Mm -hmm. So our analyst was able to put kind of a strategic lens on that list plan using the Umbel data. Nice. Where, are you still mostly focused on direct mail or are you starting to use other tools and other channels with these campaigns as well now that you have some of that insight into affinities? It's a great question. We think we are doing it multi-channel now. So we are mailing the direct mail piece, of course, and that goes out first. And then within a few days, we are um, reaching out to as many as we can through an email blast. And all of this will be available, I believe, in the handouts if yes. folks want to take a look at it. Um, and then we also follow up pretty quickly thereafter with targeted Facebook ads. And that is something we're working on with, with you all. Um, and we're able to target, again, using email addresses and then also building lookalike segments in Umbel mm -hmm. based on our existing member base and target them through their Facebook page. Wonderful. And that's proven successful. Are there any other tools that you rely on during uh, these campaigns, in-house ones or other things that you guys are using besides the list exchanges and Umble? Yes, absolutely. We have our ticketing system, which is a different system. It's a point of sale system. Um, and for us, we use Galaxy, which is a gateway product. Mm -hmm. And so any of our non-member visitors or ticket purchaser data lives in that system. And so we access that data and export that out and incorporate that into our list plan as well. Well. Oh, wonderful. So now that you have all this data and you're mining it and using it, and it sounds like you have an analyst that's doing a lot with it, are there any other insights that you've been covered about your members through looking and analyzing the data? You know, I think for us, um, 
we had some hunches already about some of our members and mm -hmm. so we're, we've always been really focused on our first year members and wanting to ensure that they have a great experience in the program and that they remain in the program and what we've been looking at more easily through the audience segmentation mm -hmm. visualization tool component of Umbel is that we can more clearly see which members are in their first year of membership with us and aren't visiting the institution mm. um, because that is a potential concern if they are three or six months into their membership with us and they haven't visited well, unlimited free admission is the primary benefit yeah. <laughs> of membership, and so they're not taking advantage of that, and now we are strategically reaching out and trying to thank them for their membership and remind them about all of the wonderful things that are going on at our museum and encourage them to come in and visit. And we've seen some great success with that as well. Um, we implemented that, our analyst and our membership manager implemented that in July for the first time. Nice. Um, and we were able to convinced about 20% of each of those mail lists to come in and visit pretty quickly thereafter. Oh, that's wonderful. With no incentive. Hey, just come, come and just hang? Just come and see the museum. That's wonderful. Are there things that you guys are changing based on those insights? It sounds like you're doing some things pretty well in terms of seeing and analyzing like who might be at risk within that first year, but are there other things that you're doing well or any other insights that you can kind of gain? You know, something that we're thinking about, um, we're, we're starting to notice a real kind of difference in, in our member mm -hmm. base. There are our, what we call our transactionalists, right? Our members who are joining because of the give and get. They're giving in their membership dues, but they're getting free and limited admission and discounts and exclusive member events. And so they're motivated by those transactions or engagements with the museum. And that's mm -hmm. a core group of the member base. But there's also a core group of the member base who is, um, we believe, more motivated by our mission and our vision. Mm -hmm. And they um, perhaps aren't as engaged in visiting with us or even attending a member event. And perhaps they don't care as much for the discounts or just don't utilize those mm -hmm. because they truly are engaged with us because they care about what we're doing and what we stand for. And so we're trying to better understand those two segments, particularly the philanthropically mm -hmm. minded segment. Um, and we're, we're thinking about perhaps that level of engagement and maybe it needs to be a little bit higher. So that's something that we're, we're thinking about and kind of analyzing right now is what is the right price point or entry point for mm -hmm. that philanthropically minded member versus the transactionally motivated yeah. member. Um, so that's something we're considering. I'm sure there's a lot of organizations on the call that also are thinking about those different paths of movement. Mm -hmm. Do you guys look at all in terms of the membership movement from visitor to first level and then those higher levels? Are you, are you using data to kind of find those things out? We are, that's a really good question. Um, we do send upgrade campaigns and those are also direct mail. Mm -hmm. um, right now we have mm -hmm. tried one or two Facebook ads with those as well as emails. Um, and we are trying to get folks to move up in their engagement and mm -hmm. commitment, philanthropic commitment to the museum. Um, but part of that we're trying to better understand is really what is that motivator? And so we're able to use Umbel to kind of look at the segments of those audiences and better understand, well, who is an existing giving club member? And what are they like, mm -hmm. right, in terms of their psychographics, their brand affinities, um, and, and try to then kind of lay that lens over the general membership base to mm -hmm. see who is similar to that and therefore might be more receptive to this upgrade message to mm -hmm. ask them to deepen their engagement with us and make an additional commitment yeah. and um, 
and not because they want to necessarily visit more, right? Yeah. Or take advantage of more tickets or free tickets. Could so the philanthropic engagement. Mm -hmm. And so actually our fall upgrade campaign, which drops in a couple of weeks, we have um, our giving club manager has completely revamped our language and we are testing something new based on some of these insights and we'll see if it affects our performance, hopefully positively. Oh, I'm excited to hear what happens. I know before, um, we were talking before, and you guys have a mobile app that mm -hmm. you guys are experimenting with. Can you kind of tell um, us in the audience what you're doing with it and what it looks like and what, what the utility of it all is? Sure, so I feel super fortunate to work for an amazing institution that believes so much in technology. And we have an entire creative tech department who has built this custom um, smartphone application oh for us, which is essentially an e what we call it our e-card. And actually, folks on the call could see mm -hmm. it if they go to our website and look for our member e-card as well. Um, and members don't need to carry a plastic card anymore with this app. So they can download the app and have their barcode, which of course is needed for entry into the museum, mm -hmm. scanned right from their phone um, or tablet. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we've recently earlier this year have deployed some additional features into that because we are hoping that the app can also be a point at which we can leverage additional engagement. Mm -hmm. And so we've added in components like being able to access your free tickets that coincide with your membership level, or better yet, share them with a friend or a family member right from your phone, whether it's through text or email. Um, members can also access our museum magazine through the app and stay up to date with what's going on at the institution. And then a really cool feature of the app is our in-app message center, where we can send targeted messages uh, to members, even down to the individual level, if necessary, um, nice. trying to entice them to come to the museum or offer different benefits, or frankly, just let them know what's going on if we have a closure or mm -hmm. some other thing is happening. It's wonderful. So, do you get more uh, data by having people download this app? Or are there other things that you're able to track in different po touch points that you're then able to pull back in and get smarter? By using the app? Great question. So yes, um, actually just a few months ago we implemented Google mm -hmm. Analytics on our app mm -hmm. and our analyst is working her way <laughs> up to being a Google Analytic guru um, and certified in Google Analytics because she's able to now track again at and well currently at a household level but soon at an individual level mm -hmm. what the members are doing in the app, what aspects of the app they're most utilizing, mm -hmm. which members are more engaged through the app than others, um, what operating systems are folks using, et cetera. So yes, we are able to get a lot of data from people's usage of the eCard app, and that will mm -hmm. inform developments um, in the future of the app itself. Wonderful. So you've talked a lot about the different data points that you guys are getting in. Are there certain things that you uh, enjoy looking at more and tend to give you more insight? Is it more demographic based that you are missing that now that you have this data solution, or are there things that you're, you're, you're trying to do with one segment for maybe the retention, but a different one for uh, attracting you? So that's a really good question. We are thinking about the data in lots of different ways. And in any given week, there's probably a new idea brewing. And we're also trying to share um, as much of the data as possible where we can throughout the institution. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of new um, projects coming up 
One is our annual gala fundraiser, mm -hmm. and we always have a silent auction at that fundraiser. And so in the past, we've obviously solicited companies to provide silent auction items. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're taking a more strategic focus this year in looking at who will we solicit and how can we understand from the Umbel segmentation data mm -hmm. um, what products might sell best mm -hmm. at that silent auction based on if we look at our most philanthropic donors mm -hmm. in the Umbel tool and their brand affinities, we can then target our solicitations of the silent auction accordingly. So for example, um, Great Getaways is a category of our silent auction every year. And mm -hmm. so um, we are looking now in the Umbel tool based on brand affinities at what hotels or resorts and spas rank the highest and then we'll likely target our solicitation to those companies so that wonderful. we hopefully are more fruitful at the silent auction. Oh, that's wonderful. So you mentioned working with another department. How are you proving worth to the rest of your organization by doing this investment? It sounds like they were pretty forward thinking on data already, but this is a this is a different type of tool. That's a good question, and that's something that we do need to do. And I'm sure every nonprofit is in the same boat. Mm -hmm. When we make a large investment, we do want to show obviously a positive return mm -hmm. on that investment. And so for us, we've been able to track um, direct revenue results because of our targeted Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. We can track and see how much revenue is coming in. And luckily for us, we have at least broken even in our investment and um, feel really positive about that. And we anticipate we'll only increase from here. Uh, but it is very much for us tied directly to that revenue piece and mm -hmm. we can track that specifically through each of our Facebook promotions that we run through Umble. Very cool. So and it sounds like memberships and the membership department has seen a lot of success by using this tool and by going in and actually analyzing and looking at data and unifying it. Is there interest in Umble across the rest of the organization or are you are you educating other teams and other departments? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think we're always educating the rest of the institution on what they might be able to mm -hmm. use the data for, or how they might gain insights themselves. Um, there are some other departments who are already using the tool. Marketing is our biggest one. And mm -hmm. so, of course, marketing is really um, intrigued by the activator idea as well as Facebook promotions because um, they can get the word out more, right? And they can increase the number of mm -hmm. folks who are aware of the institution and following the institution, and they can build email lists through activators and things mm -hmm. like that. So marketing is already a partner of ours. Technology, of course, is already a partner of ours who's using and aware of the tool and mm -hmm. helping um, build connections where needed to flow data seamlessly between things. But we're also exploring uh, working with our museum programs team mm -hmm. and helping them think through potential future topics of programming, how they might better understand a segment of their audience. For example, that division for us mm -hmm. is in charge of adult and children and family programs, but also teacher programs. Huh. And the teacher segment is one that they have a lot of questions about and they feel that maybe they don't have a ton of data on. And so we've been partnering with them to think through how they might activate that teacher audience and get information about who those teachers are and what types of programming they might be interested in and frankly just what motivates them yeah. um, or what incentives you know pique their interest and then we're also uh, very very recently just started talking with our audience research and evaluation department who performs a lot of surveys and intercepts on the floor at the institution and we're exploring how they might benefit from having access to the data. Nice. 
So you mentioned activators, and I'm not sure that everyone who is watching the webinar might know what those are. Can you give a brief description of what an Umbel activator is and how you guys use that as a tool? Sure. I think of it as a kind of a social authentication gate, right? Mm -hmm. It's a point at which people pass through and um, agree to provide us with their information. And so an activator could be something as simple as sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us. And they could activate one of two ways. They could sign in through their Facebook account, which would give us access to even more data. Um, or they could sign up through their email account, which will still give us data, not the same extent of data as far as brand affinities and things. But mm -hmm. that's a simple activator. Perfect. So do you have any future plans on using data at Denver Museum of Nature and Science? You alluded to a few of them, but are there other things maybe with a mobile app or other ways that you're thinking about using data in upcoming campaigns? We have so many ideas. <laughs> um, in fact, we have an Excel spreadsheet tracking all of our ideas at any <laughs> given point so we don't lose touch and then it's a matter of prioritizing them. Uh, you know, I think some of our, our ideas right now I've already talked about as far as our gala auction, which mm -hmm. is coming up. Another idea that we're kicking around, we have a number of corporate members who belong to the institution, and so that's the corporation itself making a philanthropic commitment to the museum. Mm -hmm. um, but a benefit of their corporate membership is that their employees are eligible to purchase individual family memberships at a discounted rate. And so one way we're thinking about using the Umble tool is to, um, frankly, kind of find and reach mm -hmm. out to those employees in a more direct manner than going through the traditional channel of reaching out to that company and their HR department and hoping they disseminate the message. We might explore targeted Facebook ads to get straight to that employee and remind them of the benefit that they have through their employment with said company. Um, so those are a couple of our ideas. Mm -hmm. I love that. So um, you mentioned earlier about a multi-channel campaign that you're doing, and I know that might be a little daunting for uh, museums or nonprofit organizations that are very much in the direct mail only and how to kind of go about using that data that you guys are, and some your creative ways that you're doing it. Can you kind of talk more about your process or advice you'd give or an for, for an ongoing campaign or one that you've run before? Sure, you know, I, for us, um, it's really a partnership between our membership program, our list broker, who is the person, the third party, if you will, who is out brokering these lists for us that we can't have access to um, as far as boosting up that direct mail component, and then also partnering with marketing. And so, um, you know, I guess my advice would be to continue with the direct mail program and really think strategically about who you're mailing and why, and look at past performance. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that data is still valuable, right, as far as which segments have performed well for certain types of exhibitions in the past. If, you're, if your acquisition campaign is targeted based on an exhibition, mm -hmm. you know, look at zip codes and things and, and still try to focus in that way. But then where you can, I would try to start inserting other channels through which to market and and remind folks of the opportunity. You know, I think we feel like we see greater and quicker lift in mm -hmm. the overall result of the campaign when we time that all pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Meaning the direct mail piece goes first and it reaches their mailbox and then a couple of days later that email goes out and then within a few days the Facebook ad is also showing up on their feed, right? And yeah. so multiple reminders to individuals because we all get our mail and if you're like me you throw it to the side and maybe something piques your interest but if then there's an email coming in to remind you and also a Facebook ad showing up on your page to remind you you're mm -hmm. probably more likely to join. Perfect. 
Um, well, that kind of concludes the formal questions that we've prepared. Um, I would like to open it up to all the webinar attendees. Um, be sure to type in your questions in the chat box, or you can use Twitter, at Umble. Use the hashtag maybe to member, uh, and I will ask Ashley all of the questions that you guys have rolling in. So our first one is, how do you collect information around age and email addresses? And does it vary based off a of visitor or member? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as how, um, so it kind of depends on who we're collecting the information mm -hmm. from. Um, so for our ticket purchasers who are not members, if they are transacting with us via our web store mm -hmm. um, online, they are required to provide an email address just yes. as you know any retail online experience asks you usually to set up an account. We don't require an account, but we do require that you provide us with an email address. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, however, capture that same information from on-site ticket purchasers. That's a much faster transaction and we, we don't capture it there. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a bit of a gap, if you will, or an opportunity. Um, as far as members are concerned, we collect that data a number of ways and with every way that we do we ask for an email address so whether a member is responding to a direct mail piece there's mm -hmm. an email address line on that or they're responding to us online of course in our web store email is required mm -hmm. it, even if they're calling in to purchase their membership we ask for an email address and we tell them that that's because and it's true we want to stay in touch with them and we want to be able to follow up with them and tell them about all the great things that are going on mm -hmm. at the museum um, and we are fortunate that we have a pretty good percentage of our file has provided us with their email address and uh, we communicate effectively through that channel do you put that those email addresses into just your CRM or do you put it into the Umble platform as well or any other internal tools? Good question and the answer is both. So of course everything initially goes into our CRM and then mm -hmm. we um, have data dumps, if you will, out of the CRM and upload that data into Umble. And from there, Umble does its magic and is able to spit back to us, you know, age information and demographics and psychographics where possible. So um, that's how we get age because we don't just come out and ask for age information at any time. Perfect. Okay, the next question is, do you have an auto renewal program? If so, how effective is it? We do. Um, so we have about a thousand households mm -hmm. in our auto renew program right now. And actually our auto renew program is um, kind of multi-layered in that you could simply join auto renew and in doing so you provide your credit card number and that's encrypted and lives in a separate software mm -hmm. and it automatically renews until you opt out of that program every year on your expiration date. That's the simple way to join the auto renew program. The more complex way, um, which is actually a benefit that we only offer to our $300 and above giving club members as well as our young professionals, is the monthly installment with auto renew program. And so they can pay for their membership in monthly installments and have it auto renew automatically uh, um, every year until they opt out of the program. How effective is it? You know, <laughs> 1,000 households participate out of our roughly 70,000 active households. So it's a really tiny percentage right now. Part of that is the challenge of um, what we think would be most valuable for our members is their ability to self-manage. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a technology component that we are currently working on and hope to unveil in the first quarter of next year where members can opt into that as they're transacting with us online and then manage their subscription, if you mm -hmm. will, if their credit card is 
changed or if they have an expiration date change, et cetera, on their own. Mm -hmm. So because we don't currently offer those, it's a pretty manual process to join. You would have to call um, and we would enroll you that way. And so I think it'll be much more effective <laughs> once we are doing things electronically and members can self-manage. Mm -hmm. I assume too, once it's instated, in, in you'll be able to actually help promote the next level and that member movement as Correct. well. Correct, yes. Wonderful. So that's coming in 2017. Ooh, very <laughs> exciting. You guys have a lot of projects that we you guys We do have are a lot of projects. Um, how are you getting the Facebook information on those who are receiving the direct mail and email solicitations? That is an Umbel secret. <laughs> I mean, I'm not totally sure, to be honest with you. We provide Umbel with email mm -hmm. information, and then um, Umbel does their magic and is able to target those folks through their Facebook uh -huh. accounts. Um, and then the other way, of course, would be through an activator. Mm -hmm. So part of like building up your data file, if you will, in Umbel is to get folks to activate as often as you can um, and as many folks as you can, because the more folks who activate through Facebook, mm -hmm. um, now you have that information, right? And so it's a matter of building up that file and then working with Umbel to target Facebook um, profiles. Are you guys doing incentives for those Facebooks to get people to activate, or, or can you give an example of an, an activator that did or did not have an incentive attached to it? Sure, yes, most of our activators have an incentive, and so we've tested things like free tickets, um, free IMAX tickets, or planetarium mm -hmm. tickets, or enter to win a free membership, or um, enter to win fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so we have found that when we have an incentive attached, it performs better. But you also find that certain incentives just are not perceived as valuable as others. And so there have been incentives that, you know, we thought would be of interest and valuable mm -hmm. and maybe it's not. And so we have to kind of reshape our focus. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. The next question is, can you share a bit about your role in the frontline guest services staff plays in member conversion and retention? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, our department is much more the strategy and behind the scenes membership department, if you will. And so there is an entirely different department called guest services. Mm -hmm. And the director of guest services and I are partners and we talk frequently, meet frequently, and work really closely together because it is her staff who is on the front line who does operate our ticketing desk and our mm -hmm. member desk upstairs, which is actually one in the same, just with different lines and points of entry. Um, so we work closely together on training for those staff members, providing them with member information. Right now, in fact, our guest services colleagues are in a contest to see if they can enroll um, 15 people in the auto renew program in a given nice. month uh, so we do work closely and try to incentivize the guest services staff of course to sell and promote memberships and they do a really great job but it is a, a separate department do they use the data as well or are they more focused on that one-to-one -one personal experience with the visitors and members that are coming through the doors it's really the latter you know our structure is is such in that they are um, kind of free of that revenue responsibility so that they can primarily focus on providing an excellent customer experience. And whether that is simply fulfilling a ticket purchase experience or converting somebody to a membership, mm -hmm. the guest services staff are trained to be excellent customer service representatives and fulfill whatever it is that the customer needs. And so they're less engaged in the data and the strategy behind um, the data than we mm -hmm. are. 
Okay, the next question is how the use of data and or UMBL changed your renewal rate? If so, how? So we have not done a ton there yet, um, but we hope to. And um, ultimately we're gonna see those results kind of a year a year from now and a year from <laughs> last month and a year from the month before, uh, because what we're using the Umbel data for as far as uh, renewal is concerned is we're really, like I said, we're really worried about that first year member, mm -hmm. what we call our at-risk member. And so we're monitoring their visitation data or lack thereof if they're not visiting our museum and we're reaching out to them in targeted ways to remind them to come in and visit. So we're not gonna see the impact, hopefully positive, on that retention rate until a year from now mm -hmm. when we are testing that on a month-to-month -month basis based on that contingent who is set to expire in that month. So we hope it will increase our renewal rate and <laughs> that is the plan, um, but it's a little too early to tell. Perfect. Does Umble allow you to upload segmented lists and or assign them to a set group? Yes. <laughs> yes, so the uploading of data um, is actually something that our analyst and our technology team handle, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm less involved in that, but as far as I understand, yes, there's kind of no limit to the way in which we can um, set up the custom segmentation of data in our Umbel mm -hmm. platform, and that's something you would work directly with Umbel on. Yeah. Perfect. Can you tell us about the decision package, how you approach getting buy-in on new programs and technology? So we talked a little bit about how you're proving value now, but what was the process like? Sure, um, it's definitely a, a really big process for us at our institution and it's an important one. It's part of the overall museum's kind of annual planning effort and so um, several months before we start budgeting for the next year, uh, we are all encouraged to think about new programs or changes to programs or um, needs that we might have for the upcoming year and we need to submit those through what we call a decision package process to a group of museum leaders who have been pulled together to kind of vet and cull all of those mm -hmm. wants if you will and narrow it down to the most strategic opportunities for the museum and so for us um, as I said a lot of the groundwork was done before I got there but then when I stepped into it uh, we really thought strategically and it was a group of us uh, myself and technology the membership program technology and guest services with our finance partners about you know what is it that we want this tool to do for us why do we think we need additional data what do we hope to do with that data it's not enough to for us it wasn't enough to just simply say we need to gather more data we had to present the the creative thinking and the plan behind, if we get this piece of data, this is what we think we will use that piece of data for. Mm -hmm. And this is how we think we will make a return on this investment with Umbel. Um, and we presented that package and ultimately it was approved, but it, it is a process as far as really thinking about um, what's possible and talking with Umbel about what's possible and it what, in what timeline mm -hmm. and when can we see a return and um, what does that look like? And uh, ultimately it, it was successful. Were there any major objections or hurdles that you had to overcome that you either anticipated or didn't during that process? You know, I don't think there were really any major objections, but our leadership really pushed us, and myself included, to mm -hmm. think strategically about why do you need this data, right? Just data aggregation for the sake of data aggregation is nothing, right? I mean, what are you going to do with the data and what do you hope to learn from that? And so that's where we kind of honed in on, we really want to understand members' visitation engagement with us mm -hmm. and their spending engagement with us. And the reason why those two pieces were so important is because we feel that both of those are an indicator of 
potential greater engagement with the museum. Mm -hmm. So if you're visiting a lot, you're likely taking advantage of the member benefits and hopefully you'll renew. Um, and if you're spending a lot, maybe there's some capacity there, right? And we might be able to grow you into a philanthropic donor, mm -hmm. um, request additional gifts from you. So for us, we kind of honed in on those two areas and made the case according to those two kind of broad goals, if you will, associated with the project. Wonderful. Okay, next question. What if what, if any steps, are you taking to understand the ethnic diversity of your membership base? That is a really great question, and it is very top of mind for us. Um, the Colorado demographics are changing very rapidly. In fact, our, um, in fact, the Latino community is one of the largest growing, I think, in the country at this point, and fastest growing in Colorado. And so. Um, we would like to better understand how we can engage and be a relevant mm -hmm. um, piece of that community's lives. And I don't think we've really cracked that nut yet on how to do it. Um, so far, we're having conversations with community members and mm -hmm. trying to better understand um, the museum's role currently and what that could look like. But as far as from like a data perspective or directly segmenting or targeting um, components of our community from an ethnic diversity standpoint, I don't think we're there yet, but mm -hmm. we are thinking about it and trying to just learn and absorb and then we'll formulate our plan after that. Are you gathering ethnic and demographic da uh, data on your constituents today? Not at an individual level. Of course, um, folks are, allowed to share that if they wish, mm -hmm. if they participate in a survey, but again, that's anonymous data and not attributed to an individual, so no. Are you exploring other social media like Twitter, Instagram, or any other platforms? Yes, our marketing department and our um, digital marketing coordinator who is in charge of social media is, is all about other platforms and we do already have a Instagram page and we have videos, Vimeo videos um, as well. We haven't done as much targeting mm -hmm. um, in those platforms, but it is top of mind as far as a way of engaging with our members and non-members. What data elements do you collect for later analysis? We've touched on this a little bit briefly, but can you go into some specific data elements that you're collecting for analysis? Sure, so we obviously track when members visit. Um, mm -hmm. So when they show their card, be it plastic or hopefully our e-card, that card is scanned and we know the date and the time that they have entered our institution mm -hmm. and also how many they have shown up with. So how many adults or children are in that party. Um, so that's a really specific set of data elements according to the members visit. Mm -hmm. We're also able to track using our point of sale system um, what members might be spending um, in the museum. So whether that means they're purchasing tickets to any of our ancillary venues like our IMAX 3D theater or a planetarium or mm -hmm. temporary traveling exhibitions, we're able to track that data as well. So spend on tickets, spend on programs. So museum programs like summer camps and um, our museum program team does travel programs. So like canoe and rafting trips, we're able to track that data as well. Wonderful as well as data from spending in our gift shops. So um, we, can, we can literally see at the inventory level the number of plush dinosaurs that were purchased by said member on a certain date um, in our gift shop. And we can kind of roll all of that up together. And then we also, of course, um, using other methods in our prospect research side of the house, track mm -hmm. things about wealth and um, capacity and other donations to other institutions. And we roll it all up into a a nice package. Nice. 
data, there's a lot of data points out there. There's a lot of data. <laughs> Perfect. So it sounds like we have one more time for one last question. Okay. Can you talk about talk more about the extreme mammal campaign that's in the handout and how you use data for multi-channel approach, email, social, et cetera, et cetera, for a single campaign? So were there specific things that you were segmenting on, specific data points that you were doing to target in terms of demographic or social? Sure, so I wish our analyst was here. Um, she worked really closely with our membership manager and myself on that, but um, the Extreme Mammal Campaign, so Extreme Mammals is a traveling exhibition mm -hmm. that will come to our museum in September. It opens at the end of September, and we actually began work on our campaign several months ago, and it first starts, as I mentioned, working with our list broker and thinking through the types of, um, the profiles of, of individuals or families that might have an interest in the exhibition. Okay. And so how we kind of match all of that together is we first get a better understanding of what the exhibition offers mm -hmm. and what the typical um, audience for the exhibition has looked like at other institutions where it has traveled. Um, so we work closely with marketing and exhibits departments on that as mm -hmm. far as understanding it's very family friendly in this case. Um, and there are a lot of mammals um, in the exhibition, right? And so that can start to get you thinking, like family friendly, well then maybe I wanna look at lists or target lists that have children in the household, even mm -hmm. if I don't know the ages. Um, mammals gets you thinking, well maybe I wanna ask the, our, in our case, our neighbor, the Denver Zoo, to do a list exchange because they of course have mammals and it's likely that their constituents might have interest in this topic. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of like thinking through the content elements of the exhibition mm -hmm. and how we might mirror that from a consumer behavior perspective mm -hmm. um, based on segments and build it accordingly. Do you also use that uh, information and data to target and attract p potentially net new members as well? So Oh yes, yes. And so that's mostly what I was talking okay. about as far as, that's okay, as far as like the list exchange and the rented and purchase list, uh -huh. those are hopefully new to file members. The rest of the segments is re-engaging our long lapsed members or re-engaging or more deeply engaging, if you will, um, visitors who are already engaged with the museum because they're buying tickets. And so we, we think probably a little less strategically about those two audiences because in a way they're already a part of the fold, right? They're part yeah. of our member community. And we focus more of our strategy as far as matching up um, content alignment and interests mm -hmm. on the other two lists. Perfect, wonderful. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, if you have any more questions, please feel free to email me at smeredith at umble.com. Um, and I just want to thank you again, Ashley, for making the time to come down to Austin and talk with us about data and museums. Sure. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me.